Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions. We'll dive into education issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Well, welcome back, Rural Scoop listeners. I am really excited to be able to have a conversation with one of our Arizona Rural Schools Association's top 10 finalists of the year for Teacher of the Year for 2023, and that is Josie McLean. And I, I'm really, I know Josie from a couple of different um, organizations that we're involved with, and I hope that we get a chance to talk a little bit about that, but um, I'm Really looking forward to finding out more about what she does in her classroom and uh, the things that she brings to the table for her rural community, which I know is a lot. So uh, without further ado, Josie, do you want to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about how you came to be at Paloma Elementary School District? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am originally from Michigan. So I grew up born and raised in West Michigan, the town of Holland, and graduated with my bachelor's degree in special education from Hope College, which sounds made up, but it is a real (laughs) university um, in my hometown. And I had one particular professor that really was a pivotal person in my life to help me choose the path of special education for my degree um, when I originally started with elementary education. But I was certified in both through the program, which opened so many doors and provides so many opportunities. And then after graduating in 2016, I packed up a moving truck and came to Metro Phoenix in the Maryvale community. There was a recruiter for one of the school districts there who Mm -hmm. came up to Michigan. And for me, it was a practice experience and interviewing. But when I was offered the job, my mother and I went down to tour the different schools before I graduated. And I thought, this is where my adventure begins. And I spent three years teaching fifth grade in that particular district before making my way to where I am now in the rural district of Paloma. And I absolutely love it. I am now a second grade teacher, and this is my fifth year in that classroom. Wow. So in total, how many years of teaching? Well, we're in currently my eighth year okay. of teaching since 2016. Yes. Fantastic. So when did you realize that you wanted to be an educator? How did that come to be? You know, I always have conversations with other teachers that they had a family member like their mom or their aunt was a teacher mm-hmm. in their life. Um And I didn't have that experience. I'm the first in my family to graduate college and... I think I've always had a heart for serving others in different capacities. And one of those capacities is being good with children. And my first job was babysitting (laughs) at 12. 
Um, and then I became a camp counselor in late high school and college and a tutor for other students. And I think it just always felt right. I didn't go into college not knowing what I wanted to do, but the dream kind of morphed over time to broaden my experiences and availability in the field of education. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't exactly one moment that I remember wanting to become a teacher, but I had many phenomenal teachers. All of my teachers were phenomenal as I was going through my schooling and a few really pop out in my mind as to my mentors and who I still communicate with and look to. And I think they really formed a very high opinion of educators in my mind that I wanted to aspire to be like that. Mm. It's nice when, uh, and, I, and I'm sure that you're probably, if you haven't already had it happen, you will soon have your students come back and tell you, this is what I'm doing now, thanks to you. So it's nice to be able to have that experience yourself and then be able to pay it forward. My first group of fifth graders is graduating high school this oh, year. Oh, yay. So I'm hoping to go to their graduation. That's fantastic. So starting in downtown Phoenix, urban, and you made your way to a rural school district. Paloma is pretty rural. <laughs> uh, even though it's still in Maricopa County, it's still pretty rural. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to that rural setting? It was a funny story how it came to be. I don't think I ever had the cogniz cognizance of becoming a rural school teacher, but there were a few teachers at Paloma who were, who were mentors to me while I was in Maryvale. I was taking mm -hmm. night courses through the district to become certified to teach gifted um, and talented students and become certified in that. They offered that. And one of the facilitators for that from the district left the district and came to Paloma. And so she kind of put it in my ear and said, if you're ever looking, we are hiring. Mm -hmm. And I took that risk and came out to interview with the administrator. And the rest is history. I There's no looking back. I think there were so many things that drew me in and pulled me in especially the sense of community. I think that was the number one. You know, and, and um, that just leads me to my next question for you. And that is, there's a lot of benefits to, to being rural, to teaching rural, to living rural. Um, talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned the community. Expand yeah, on that. there's so much when I meet up with some friends who are one, non-teachers and two, not living in a rural community like myself, that when I share just the experiences I have and the pros and cons, it's just so eye-opening and, and endearing in a way, because I think that for me, I'm thriving in this environment and it was very hard to find my footing in a very large district and the hustle and bustle of the city. And my husband has loved living in a rural community as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once I said, I really want to pursue this position. But I think that when teachers say that they struggle for small group time, we happen to have such small class sizes that 
every lesson is a small group lesson. (laughs) And if I wanted to pull small groups, it would be like one-on-one with students. And I think that's just such a great benefit to not only me as the educator, but the students as well. They're just getting so much more focused um, attention from the educator and it's a family and being with the staff members, it's a family. And even outside of the four walls of school, we rely on each other. And I just think that is such a unique perspective and situation. And I think that the families of the students really appreciate that as well, because I now in my fifth year here, I've had many siblings of students that I've had in prior years. And so I'm really close with the families and I really appreciate that. So Ty and I have talked about how uh, that's really an advantage. It's a rural advantage is what we call it uh, to living in a community like that. What other opportunities that are, are uh, unique to rural are you having as a teacher? I would say that we've been very fortunate with grants and funding and just opportunities where I, I don't know, I feel so lucky. I've won a gift card here and a gift card there. And it goes a lot further for a small classroom than a bigger classroom. I've been able to, and donors choose and other opportunities of resources like that. But I've been able to, I really love stepping into my own and doing room transformations, which are not always the most educational but they bring learning to life. And I do connect it to curriculum. But sometimes like today, I transformed our classroom into a restaurant setting. So the kids (laughs) could taste different book genres. And I was able to use gift cards and grants and donors choose to find the decorations and things like that, that I can use every year. And it goes a lot further with a smaller group of students each year. And we've just had wonderful opportunities to like we I believe we have one of like the the green school bus, like a more energy mm-hmm. efficient school bus, things like that, that I feel a lot of bigger schools have to maybe compete with each other or they kind of fall through the cracks that I feel like we we really pour into our students and look for every opportunity for additional resources. Mm. You mentioned the community. Talk about your community and how you involve them in the education of their students. Yeah. So I love thinking about college and career readiness and different paths that students can go to after they graduate high school. And a lot of the families in our community do happen to work on the dairy farms that surround our district, Mm -hmm. which is very common and really great job opportunities. So when we talk about it with our students, we invite families to share what their experiences are in the field. And maybe do you want to follow in your parents' footsteps and do that? Or is there something else that you're interested in? And at the second grade level, which is what I'm teaching, we can really broaden the horizons for students in a general sense and say, these are the types of jobs you would need to go to college for. And these are the types of jobs that you may not need to go to college, but have other types of training. And so the families, they have input in that. We just had parent teacher conferences and Mm -hmm. we have a very great turnout for them. And I think that's another 
unique factor that we work with the family scheduling and um, we have great interpreters and translators and the families are very involved in asking, what can I do for my child and how can I help support you in the classroom? And I don't feel like I've always had that in a bigger group because with less students, you have fewer families to communicate with as opposed to 35 plus families. Right. Very true. Very true. So one of the things that um, we have to deal with in rural communities is a potential lack of access. That's kind of a thing that we're, uh, you know, is a challenge for us. Um, What are the challenges that you face, particularly as a rural teacher? I think it was very evident during the time when we were all learning from home and the pandemic. There's a very few opportunities for students to access the internet. And I, I think that it's getting a little bit better where we are, but we would have to deliver physical packets to students to complete. I didn't really use Google Classroom because it was very hard to have students log on. They didn't have their own set of technology, so we would try to deliver the Chromebooks that we use, but we would have to find jetpacks almost to use, which weren't really reliable. So I think internet was a huge, that was eye-opening for me because at school we may have it, but it also determines the decisions we make as educators, what kind of homework that we expect from the students to be completed because they may not have internet. So I stick Mm -hmm. with paper and pencil reinforcement activities for homework. And I think also transportation can sometimes be difficult. We do have buses, but some families, they'll have their students walk to school and that's not always the safest thing for them or, or potentially reliable transportation if they don't take the bus. Mm, yeah. And and you're fairly dispersed. I mean, you have a very large geographical area for your district. Yes. And yeah. not only that, but you're right off of a interstate. So there's no crosswalks to, to school. <laughs> no. Yes. Our campus itself is very safe, but outside of the campus getting to the campus, it makes me a little nervous personally <laughs> yeah. for myself driving. Yeah. So Josie, the the things that you're dealing with at the local level are, are things that I think most people can relate to. And um, I want you to think about at the state level or even at the national level, what are those things that you think keep rural educators up at night that they're just really trying to figure out how to solve? That's a really good question. I think equal opportunity. I think bigger districts, they may get more focus from the state. I don't know because I'm not at the decision-making level and I don't get the visits from the state or the communication. But I would say that I think there are certain expectations that the state puts on public schools because we are also a Title I public school that it just doesn't really line up with because of our numbers or because we also include a preschool. So some of the expectations I hear from my colleagues and my administrator, it just doesn't really translate to our campus, but we still have to, quote, jump through the hoops that everyone else has Mm -hmm. to And it just doesn't really seem feasible. We're just under that umbrella as everybody else. But the state doesn't really, 
I don't know, come out here and see it firsthand that this particular expectation or law just it does it doesn't quite fit. It's like a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. And it's not one size fits all, which I know is difficult at a legislative level because all schools have their own sets of difficulties. But with ours, I hear some of the expectations or when we talk about tier two intervention, we have such small groups that we don't have intervention specialists. So the teacher has to determine what amount of time in the day is used for that kind of intervention or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, human capital issue is is definitely a concern. And how do you, as you said, jump through the hoop with one person that's doing the reporting rather than a whole department? So yeah, yeah it's it's difficult. Do you do you have issues around recruitment and retention for staff in your area? I honestly think that from my perspective, being here for going on five years now, our administrator just really has created a great environment for us to work in that I think many of us intend to stay for a longer period of time. I think it's really neat that many of the educators that I work alongside of my colleagues were born and raised in this community. So I'm a little bit more of the outsider, but they've been raising their families and second, third generation in this community. And I think it's so important for the students to have teachers that were born and raised in this community and the same life experiences as them and the same neighborhoods that the students are living in. And so I think that's really great. I think that most of us stay and we do have a unique situation where some of the colleagues I work with, they come as a pair. It's married couples. Mm -hmm. And I think if their life brings them in another direction where they have to move, then that would be really sad for our school because we wouldn't be losing just one. We would be losing more than one. So I think right now we don't have a problem with retention, but I can understand with where we live, it, it may be difficult because we, we have brought in, we had a counselor who was from Minnesota and she made the decision to go back to Minnesota and mm-hmm. that's where her family was. So, and now a word from our sponsor. So Josie, I'd like to dig into that just a little bit more because you said something that's interesting and that is that you're an outsider for that community. Um, And this is is a unique uh, situation where potentially you have somebody moving into a rural community that may not have ever lived rural, may not understand what kinds of things to to look at or to, to look for in terms of being an educator in a rural community. So Talk to me about how you navigated being a non-rural person, moving into a rural community and and trying to find your footing. There were definitely things that I had to adjust to and not, not bad things, just this is the way they do things. For example, when I first moved, no one really explained to me that we don't have mailboxes. so I needed to set up a PO box at the post office and we get our mail at the post office. And so there was a brief moment of panic when we did our change of address that our mail was maybe getting lost, but just little things that you would not consider and that the people that I work with, it's not their job to tell me they they're like, Oh, this is how it's always been. It didn't even cross my mind to tell you 
that this is, you need to get a PO box when you move. Um, so little things like that, but we love our community. We love being involved. We try to go to the community events around the town. And that's a great way to get to know our neighbors and community members. And I love how tight knit it is. It reminds me a lot of my small town in West Michigan. It wasn't rural, but everybody really knew each other. Mm -hmm. And I like having that sense of community again. And there's everyone looks out for each other. There have been situations in and outside of the school where someone might be going through a hard time or lose a loved one. And we just come together as a community without even thinking like, what can we do? How can we support you? What kind of money do you need raised or something like that? And I also love our, our public library, which is connected to one of our school districts. It is fantastic for the kids. And I also go there to look for books that I can read with my students and see them after school. And it's a definite change and adjustment to see my students outside of school frequently. (laughs) That didn't really happen in Metro Phoenix, but we're so excited to be able to pass out candy to trick-or-treaters. And many of them are my students and just things like that that make me feel at home and everyone's very welcoming. But there was a small adjustment period of, okay, this is how you do things. So I got to take note and <laughs> do do so accordingly. So you, you've been teaching now for eight years. And I know as a top 10 finalist for ARSA that you are doing amazing things as an educator for your community. So kudos to you. But I want you to think about in the past eight years, is there something that stands out to you as an aha moment that just kind of defines who you are as a teacher and makes you really um, reflect on what teaching is and how it's where you need to be? It's so funny because one of my final assignments as a very young college graduate was my teaching philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I saved it. And I looked back at it just a couple years ago. And so much has changed because when I wrote it, I had absolutely no experience in the classroom. <laughs> and now I, I've i kind of earned my stripes a little bit. I don't know if I would say I've gotten there yet until I hit that 10-year mark. But my philosophy is that, and this part hasn't really changed too much, but the foundation of my educating is relationships with my students. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that in this particular situation of a rural school, relationships come so easy because I can have a very personal relationship with each student. And I really wish that for every teacher. And sometimes it's really hard because of, like you said, teacher retention and teachers leaving the profession or being in a larger school district. And so with relationships coming first, I, I feel like that is where everything clicks and falls into place and has really made me more passionate about the social, emotional learning and soft skills. And they have an equal place in the classroom as the other rigorous academics. Mm -hmm. And I try to balance my time and and integrate the social emotional skills, especially after the pandemic, there was kind of that shift, but 
even before then, not only do you need mutual respect with your students, but when they feel safe and excited to come to school, then then I know I've done my job. And so if if they're excited and I say, if if what I taught them has made it to the dinner table and their <laughs> family members are saying, oh, they talked about such and such lesson, then I know I've done my job because I know test scores and making sure students meet the standards are absolutely important. I believe also the soft skills and teaching a child how to be human is also really important. So true. And um, more important now, as you said, with the pandemic, making teaching different. Uh, And we're seeing it in our students that those soft skills are even more important now than they have ever been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, as a rural educator in a small community at your school site, uh, everybody does a lot of things. I know your your um, administrator is a superintendent principal. She's really busy, but so are teachers. And I know that you're also very busy as one of those teachers. So talk about the many hats you wear, because we do that in rural, right? <laughs> yes, yes, many hats. Over the years of my time here at Paloma, things have changed where we don't always have access to a music teacher, or we don't always have access to an art teacher or a physical education teacher. So this year we do have a physical education teacher who's able to be there for PE two days a week, but it makes me very sad personally that art and music are not available this year as a separate class. So I try to be the art and music teacher, probably not the most qualified art and music (laughs) teacher, but in my classroom, integrating art and integrating music, any chance that I can. We have in the past couple of years that I've been there, we have had an art and a music teacher, but this year it just didn't really work out. And so I try to compensate and sprinkle in art and music without letting the other academics fall to the side. So those are some of the hats that I wear. I also say that I'm school gardener, not for the whole school, but (laughs) we're trying to get more of a garden started. In my classroom, we have a windowsill garden of just um, oyster mushrooms, tomatoes, and like microgreens and a little aquaponics tank. So we do smoothie parties just to expose students to different kinds of fruits and veggies that they may not get exposure Mm -hmm. to. And so I also wear that hat in a way, but we all chip in and do our part to sometimes there's not always like a nurse on campus either. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that at our school, we do get CPR and first aid certified. So I feel like I'm a little bit more prepared for situations like that as well. Outside of the school, I know that you at least do one thing because I get to do that with you. But what else do you do outside of the school as an educator? I had the opportunity to in 2018, I believe, take a summer institute at Arizona State University for the Arizona Geographic Alliance, which is a mouthful. (laughs) And so I had to create a lesson plan that incorporated geography with literacy. Um, And they have their whole website of free lessons that anyone can go and use. And then they invited me back just in September of this year to present on 
for new teachers and teachers that are still in in service at Arizona State. And so it was kind of a geographic conference, but my particular session was about brain breaks and how Mm -hmm. excited I am about implementing those and just different tips and tricks that I've gained over the years that maybe someone hasn't thought of. So I was very excited to do that. I would love to present more. And in terms of education, I am working towards becoming nationally national board certified. So Mm -hmm. I'm about halfway through that process. And that's taking up a lot of time. Yeah, I'm sure that's stringent. Yes. Well, and, you know, I have no doubt that you're going to be certified. So I look forward to being able to congratulate you when that happens. Thank you. So um, what would you tell somebody that was an educator already or was going to school right now, was in a teacher prep program um, that might draw them to a rural setting? What would you say was the reason that they should consider being a rural teacher? When I was in more of a metro, metro inner city setting, I felt like it was very difficult to be supported by administration, not at any fault to their own, but just because there were so many behavior issues or so many different things that were up in the air and so many classrooms to manage. I really appreciate the support that I have from my administration and the coaching that's available and the peer coaching between colleagues. I also feel, and this is just my personality, we only have one teacher per grade level and that's kind of a double-edged sword as well. But I love it because I have a lot of autonomy and creativity and my administrator trusts us to make the best decisions for our grade level. And so I have a lot of say and my voice is heard and Mm. respected. And I think that even if you're new to teaching and it's overwhelming and daunting, this is a great type of setting because you will always have support. You have a very small class size most of the time. So you you don't feel like you're thrown headfirst into managing a large group of students. I think that there's great family and community support. And I think that you have a lot of autonomy and you're trusted as a professional, which I really appreciate. It makes me feel like I am doing what I'm supposed to do and I am making decisions for the best interest of my students and for the good of the school as a whole. And I think that it's just a different environment that has so many great things for your mental health as an educator. Mm-hmm. I feel happy to come to work. I don't feel very overwhelmed. It's very manageable. That's good to hear because teacher burnout is such a concern right now. Mm -hmm. So Josie, is there anything that we have not talked about that you want to make sure that you highlight? I think that you asked some excellent questions and I was able to share about the school that I work in and the opportunities I've had and just how excited I am to be a teacher and how I didn't plan to be a rural school teacher. And I think it was meant to be, and I appreciate it. And I don't take it for granted. 
And I hope more people learn about or are interested in, in hearing more about it because it is so different. It's the same, but it's different. I'm still teaching at a general public Title I school, but it's different in a way. And I think that is just, it's special. And I appreciate it every day. And I appreciate this opportunity to share. Oh, well, thank you so much for spending some of your Friday afternoon. (laughs) Uh, And it's been enjoyable getting a chance to know more about what you do in Paloma. And congratulations again for being a top 10 finalist for ARSA this year. Thank you so much. I'm really privileged. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at ChattanoogaPodcastStudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.